Good evening, everyone. How are y'all? Good. I love that. That was, uh, that was great. Uh, I know you're uh, attentive. I think everyone said hello, so that's great. Thank you. Well, uh, I want to continue in our series in Revelation. This was uh, uh, intended, as you know, to be preached this morning. Lord changed my, my mind and uh, told me to do something different, and so uh, I did, but I still want to stay on track because we're, we, uh, we're trying to get through Revelation 2. So thank you for coming tonight. This is going to be recorded in case someone is checking this out. A little later and didn't want to miss it and couldn't be here. Uh, so we are going to keep that there. We're going to close out the last chapter uh, or the last few verses of chapter 17. And um, you'll, you'll recall that as we've been studying uh, the book of Revelation, of course, uh, but, but particularly chapter 17, that we, we are reminding ourselves of who Christ is and who he has called us to be as we live among Babylon, as we live uh, among the world system that permeates um, every age, but particularly our age. And Jason, two weeks ago, began this section by calling it a tale of two cities, and that's certainly true. And we've been looking at the great city Babylon and uh, eventually we will look at the city Jerusalem. And each one is, is indicative of uh, a system, an uh, idea, a thought, uh, a, a people or a world um, power kind of situation. And they are juxtaposed to one another. They're meant to draw out this imagery in, in our minds and our understanding of what it means to live according to the world's ways and what it means to live according to God's ways and to Christ's ways. And so we've been looking at the, the city Babylon in, the cha in chapter 17. And in chapter 17, Babylon is uh, identified as a harlot, a prostitute, a woman of uh, illustrious ways because that is what Babylon is like it's what Babylon has always been like it's what Babylon this world system uh, has been like when the ba when Babylon was first initiated and uh, and every subsequent Babylon that followed and certainly the one we live in Today And here in this chapter, we observe what happens to those caught up in the allure of this prostitute, this alluring world power, Babylon. In this chapter, the angel continues his interpretation, describing every aspect of the, of the vision as it concerns Babylon and the beast. And the subject here is the prostitute or the great city or Babylon or the world system and its ultimate demise. We must remember that Babylon is destined for destruction. We learned that last week because Christ will conquer and the world system will be destroyed. 
Would you read with me our main text uh, today, uh, verses 15 through 18 of chapter 17. He also said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute was seated are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The ten horns you saw and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked, devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his plan by having one purpose and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman you saw is the great city that has royal power over kings of the earth. We see in this passage four things. Four things about Babylon's demise. We begin and we realize as uh, the angel describes the waters you saw and where the prostitute was seated. And the angel uses language that you'll recognize um, from Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. It's Because remember, everything that the beast does, everything that the world does is really just a, a, a cheap alternative to what God does and what God is doing. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, you see a multitude of Christians, people who follow the Lamb, gathered. And it says that they will be of every people, every nation, and every tongue. You see that in this passage. It's also a multitude of of people from every nation and every language gathered around this prostitute as well. But it's a cheap alternative. I love that passage in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. And as an aside and just thinking about what God has done and is doing and will do in heaven when he has gathered with him a multitude of people from every nation, tribe, and language we realize that heaven is going to be this beautiful picture of the gospel reaching out into every nook and every cranny and every spot across the entire globe because there will be people from every place who follow the Lamb, who love Jesus, and who uh, are devoted to Him and, and, and are gathered around with Him in heaven. Uh, last, uh, when I was gone to Argentina, we had this really cool moment of just a little glimpse of that. Man, it was so cool. Um, we got to be at two separate churches. One had a Saturday night service, and we got to be a part of that. And th- there's a pastor there from, from, uh, with our group from South Georgia who uh, from Albany, and he's uh, doing the same thing I'm doing. He's there to learn what's going on there, figure out how their church can partner and find ways to minister there. And He was going to be preaching that evening, and uh, this was uh, a really neat church because that church, in, in that church, there were people who were Brazilian and spoke Brazilian Portuguese. In fact, all the songs that they sang, they sang in Portuguese with Spanish also on the screen because there were Brazilian Portuguese speakers and there were Spanish speakers 
uh, that certain day there were English speakers, but not always, and because we were there. And so they had texted us earlier in the week and said, hey, would anyone from your group be able to sing How Great Is Our God? It's a, a common song that oftentimes can be sung in many languages, but even in English, most people know that song. It's kind of like Amazing Grace and some others that are transcend uh, culture and, and, um, and um, you know, different countries and different languages. And so, y'all all know that I sing. No one that I was there with knew that I sang. But I said, hey, I'd be willing to sing um, that song. And so, Saturday night came. We kind of came in. We were supposed to be there a little earlier. We were running a little late. And so, we were there. And I went to do a sound check. It was a little more of a modern situation because it's right there in the middle of the city. It's this uh, room that was, com- uh, was like a like a business office kind of suite and they turned it into this really neat uh, church and chapel and they were reaching young people uh, particularly college students and young professionals and um, Ariel who's the pastor there is a young vibrant uh, kind of excited guy that the missionaries that we're partnering with have mentored for the past year because he was kind of a little bit of a you know um, he was just so excited and so passionate but then needed some help. And he, the beauty of it, he was teachable, he was willing to learn, and he uh, allowed himself to come underneath um, one of these missionaries and be mentored by him. And I don't know this, but I, the people who knew him a year prior said that Lord has really worked in his life through that. And he also was singing. He was singing in Spanish. Uh, another young lady was singing in uh, Portuguese. And so what ended up happening where I thought I would just be singing the song in English, and I did a sound check and kind of went through that. And thankfully, I thought to ask some questions. Of course, uh, they spoke Portuguese and Spanish, but not English very well. So I had to get the missionary to kind of come and and help me ask the questions. And so anyway, what I found out with just a few minutes to spare is that the young lady was going to be singing the first verse in Portuguese, the the pastor was going to be singing the second verse and the chorus in Spanish. And then when it comes to the point of uh, that age to age, he stands and time is in, that's when I would sing um, in English and continue throughout the rest of the song, even all the way to the end where they, uh, they just sing automatically um, uh, our... Uh, how great thou art at the end. So then sings my soul, my say. So we're going to do that. What I did not realize until we're singing it and the Lord just moved uh, in our midst is that there would be a point where there were three languages being sung at the very same time. And man, it was cool. And it was like this picture, right? The small glimpse and what heaven's going to be like where we're singing to our King, we're singing to our Savior, we're gathered together, worshiping His name in our native language and singing together. Uh, I did find a video of it, and I will post that soon. It was a very cool, very cool moment. But what's happening in this moment is we see another multitude, a mimic multitude, a cheap alternative multitude, right? Right? gathered 
around this antichrist and gathered around his harlot. And it is, you know, I'd love to say it another way. That's just the way the Bible describes it. You know, I know it seems crass. But he's, they're gathered there worshiping not Jesus, but worshiping this false deity. What we see in this passage are four things about Babylon's demise that I think are important for us to grasp and understand. Number one, Babylon thrives financially because humanity feeds it. Sitting upon the waters here, the harlot is ruling over the multitudes of her followers, but she is also being propped up by them. Jeremiah likens abundant waters to having treasures amongst it. This is pulling from Jeremiah in a way, this idea of abundant waters. And what you see is that Jeremiah is saying that the abundant waters represent this flowing system, economic system that feeds this world system and props it up and lifts it up and strengthens it and gives it its power. This passage helps us to see that the prostitute, this fake of a faithful wife, has had an illustrious affair with the devil and has given itself or herself over to him. This idea of Babylon thriving because money is pumped into it, and we understand that. At one point in our society, the phrase sex sells, we heard that, we understood that because in all the advertising, uh, it was this, uh, back then, we, we would think that was rated PG now, but back when that was kind of this motto and this idea, you know, it was scantily clad females, it was this idea of uh, following your passions and your pleasures, now, we, we've only gotten worse, and it, you know, a lot of times it's like stupidity sales because it's just dumb jokes that make no sense. But, but it's also pushing every thought, every agenda, every idea, and everything because, because there is this system that is dependent upon money, and that money th feeds the system. And it's this cyclical thing where it's constantly being pumped in and it's constantly growing and growing and growing. So we're not surprised by that. We see that every day. We see Babylon growing in its power, pumped by these financial things. Now all sorts of debauchery and are in the mainstream of the world, debauchery and money keeps flowing and Babylon is drunk. Drunk with power, drunk with pleasure, and drunk with pursuing whatever feels great and right in a moment. Babylon thrives financially because humanity is feeding its desires and feeding its Pleasures and feeding its habits. And it gets worse and worse 
and worse. Not only is Babylon thriving financially because humanity feeds it, but Babylon has seeped into the church. It's not in this exact passage. It's not explicit in this passage, but it is implicit if you look at Revelation as a whole. If you remind yourselves, and we remind ourselves of what, what the angel, what what each angel for each church was warned by Jesus about. You go back to Revelation chapter 2 and you start looking at what the warnings were and the things that Jesus had against each individual church. You will see this harlot and her ways and her drunken stupor and her uh, illustrious sexual uh, pleasure-seeking ways had seeped into the churches. Because of the allure of the harlot, the temptress is so strong, we must be cautious knowing she can seep into the church as well. I'm reminded of what Jesus wrote to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2, 4, when he told them that they had lost or left their first love. It's this picture of a man leaving the faithful relationship he had with his wife and exchanging it for a one-night stand or a pleasure-seeking moment. That's what Jesus described. They're losing their first love or leaving their first love. In the letter to Pergamum, sexual immorality had seeped into that church so it wasn't just this possible, you left your first love, and, and we don't have the details of it. No, in Pergamum, it's like y'all went full on into Babylon's ways. The teaching of the temptress had, had sucked the life out of that church. And, and Thyatira had, all, had, had allowed Jezebel in, and the spirit of Jezebel is the spirit of Babylon. It's one and the same. They had allowed her to come in and tempt and thrive and 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 give this idea that they could live straddling the fence of having one foot in Christ's kingdom and one foot in the kingdom of the beast and it just can't be that way Laodicea had been so infiltrated by the world because they were wealthy they were Rendered useless. Jesus said to them, You're useless because you're neither hot nor cold, and I will spew you out of my mouth. Their wealth likely contributed to the infiltration of Babylon's ideas because money feeds the beast, and money had become an object of their worship in Laodicea. We must be careful not to allow the world to influence us. For you and I are to be influential to the world and in the world. To be, as Jesus told us, to be in the world and not of it. Thankfully, there's grace because in each situation, in every church, Jesus warned them so they could repent. Jesus told them of how they could conquer and overcome the enemy's infiltration into their camp. 
Babylon thrives because humanity feeds it. Babylon, unfortunately, has seeped into the church. The third thing we see here is Babylon will be destroyed by the same world system that props it up. Those given over to the world system thinking it will benefit them will come under its demise. The world system, Satan and his minions and his terrible ways offer a promise for wealth, pleasure, and every sinful thing a man's or woman's heart could desire. But the goal is not to merely give it what it wants, but to entice it with what it wants and ensnare it in a trap that will lead to its destruction. In this passage, we see a civil war breaking out, so to speak. Rome was unable to be destroyed by an outside source but eventually imploded from the inside. The same thing happens to Babylon. In the passage, it says that, among other things, they will devour her flesh. This, again, calls to mind this idea of Jezebel. Because Jezebel was devoured, her corpse was devoured. Second Kings 9, 30 through 37. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard about it, so she painted her eyes, fixed her hair, and looked down from the window. As Jehu entered the city gate, she said, Do you come in peace, Zimri, killer of your master? He looked up toward the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? Two or three eunuchs looked down at him, and he said, throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses, and Jehu rode over her. Then went in. Then he went in, ate and drank, and said, take care of this cursed woman and bury her, since she's a king's daughter. When they went out to bury her, they did not find anything but the skull, the feet, and the hands. So they went back and told him, and he said, this fulfills the Lord's word that he spoke through the servant Elijah to the Tishbite. In the plot of land at Jezreel, the dogs will eat Jezebel's flesh. Jezebel's corpse will be like the manure on the surface of the ground in the plot of land at Jezreel, so that no one will be able to say, this is Jezebel. This is the same temptress. This is the same woman that after Elijah had called down fire from heaven, and so to speak, defeated all the prophets of Baal, he ran in terror from her. And so what you see is no matter how strong the world system seems, no matter how destructive it seems toward you and I as followers of Christ, it will eventually meet its demise. passage says that the kings and the beast will burn this prostitute up with fire in a moment she's old news never to be seen again her demise will be greatly lamented by those who've loved and whored around with her 
as we'll see in chapter 18 as we continue our study. So Babylon thrives because humanity feeds it. Babylon has seeped into the church and then Babylon will be destroyed by the same world system that props it up. And the final thing we see is that Babylon's demise will happen when God says. Though it seems the prostitute has some sort of control, she doesn't. It's taken away in a moment. And when the beast turns on her along with the world powers, it would seem that they are in control, but the angel allows us to peek behind the curtain and see that God uses their intent on demise to accomplish his purposes. God is sovereignly in control at all times, even when it seems as though someone else may be. And thus we must rely on God. We must lean on his everlasting arms, as we sang a moment ago. We must rely on God in his eternal, never-ending ways. The world is destined for demise when God says it is, and we await him bringing it all to finality. It's a, a bit of a closing statement, and I think it's so powerful to help us to really see just in a nutshell, what we should take away from chapter 17. I want to read to you the conclusion that Danny Aiken uses in his commentary about this section, and I think it's powerful, and I, I hope that it really just does for you what it did for me as I was studying and, and read this. Danny says in his conclusion, My friend C.J. Mahaney has well said, Today, the greatest challenge facing evangelical, Bible-believing American Christians is not persecution from the world, but seduction by the world. The Christian apologist C.S. Lewis would add, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Can I just read that again? That hit me so hard. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us instead. Like an ignorant child who goes on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are too easily pleased. Babylon offers mud pies in the slum. The new Jerusalem, ruled by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, offers a glorious holiday at a crystal sea that will last forever. Do not be too easily pleased. Do not be seduced by a world that can never deliver what is truly lasting and ultimately satisfying. May we be satisfied in Christ and not.
not even toy around with the mess and the destruction and the demise that the world tries to bring to us in a shiny package. May we push it away and look to our Savior. Let's pray, Lord, help us that we would not be tricked by the death-bringing ways of the world. Because you said in a proverb that, uh, that the way of, uh, that the way of death is for the foolish. The way of the foolish is death. But the way of the wise is life and peace. So God, help us to keep our eyes on you and your ways. And help us not to be like those churches. Ephesus, Laodicea, Thyatira, Pergamum, who allowed the allure of the prostitute to tempt them. But thank you, even though they did, Lord, and even though we fail so many times, you offer us grace and mercy and the ability to repent and to turn back to you, God. So help us to turn to you and turn to you always. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.